Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn why projects fail, how one med student transformed her local emergency department, and why you should go looking for the people who work in the hospital basement. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode three, how to start a project that could actually change something. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where a bunch of us medical students and newly qualified doctors and guests get into a room and discuss the kind of things that you need to know to be a good medical student or a newly qualified doctor that you can't really learn at medical school. Uh, I'm Lara Nunes Mulder and I'm the editorial scholar and at the BMJ and a medical student at the University of Cambridge. And in the room with me, I've got our two wonderful med students, Declan and Raihan. Would you like to introduce yourself, Declan? Yeah, so I'm Declan, coming to the end of my final year um, at Norwich Medical School. Um, how'd your exams go, by the way? I passed them. Yeah. Well Woo! Anyone else want to care about me passing my exams? So well yeah, done. I don't know if I can call myself a doctor or not yet. Not really sure. I don't know how it works, but... You definitely can't. Can't? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have it in front of my name soon, so... Ooh, that'll do me. Fancy, all right, yeah. Dr. Declan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And Raihan, would you like to choose yourself? Yeah, so my name's Raihan. I'm a fourth year medical student at Newcastle. And next year I'll be intercalating in management in London. Oh, fun. And uh, as well as med students in the room, we've got ourselves a wonderful expert guest today, Kat. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Kat. I am the quality improvement editor at the BMJ. Um, I'm going to my leaving school reunion 20 years tomorrow so it's a really long time since I was a medical student <laughs> uh, uh, but I am also a doctor by training um, although a bit laxed. What kind of doctor is that? Uh, I am trained as a GP. Oh fun and why are you here why are you joining us today why did you want to come? Uh, well partly because you asked me <laughs> Laura uh, and also I could talk about quality improvement until the cows come home. Uh, so we're here to talk about projects, so that, like research, audits, quality improvement, and we all do them, right? Whether yeah. whether you're yeah. yeah, whether you're trying to smash out a publication before mm-hmm. your foundation year application, or whether you're just trying to fulfil sort of tick box requirements from university, mm-hmm. um, or whether you actually enjoy it sometimes. Ooh, yeah, some ooh. people do enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, and uh, and we usually think of like projects in terms of like what we can get out of them, right? So yeah, yeah normally, you know, yeah. and even if that's enjoyment, which is great, um, but actually. The projects that we can do whilst we're med students, you know, theoretically they should be able to benefit more than just ourselves as individuals, mm-hmm. right? In theory, yeah, that's in what I hope. So. That's, yeah. I mean, I believe that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, have you guys done any projects? So, I've got experience of one project. You done one project? Yeah. You're in fourth year, right? Fourth yeah, year, not bad. Yeah. So we had to do it as part of our SSC, so student selected component, where we pick our specialties that we want to have a six week rotation in. And um, as part of the assessment, at the end of this um, rotation, you have to do an audit. Um, it was the first time I've ever done anything like this. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, fair enough. How about you, Declan? You're doing academic foundation <coughs> program, right? So you must have done loads of projects. Yeah, I've done a fair few. Um, I guess why, why I decided to do them is I started in first year, really. In but, first year? Yeah, I know. It, sound, it sounds a bit sad. I promise that I'm not as sad <laughs> as I sound. But I found, probably are. <laughs> 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 yes. Maybe yeah. a little bit. But I found medical school a little bit frustrating, really. Um, because 
I thought a lot of it was kind of guideline based. And sure. after our first and second year exams, like there was kind of a, I guess, a pattern of of following guidelines, and that's that's the um, the way you manage a patient, or that's what investigation yeah. you do. That was frustrating me because I thought there was no real like intelligence actually involved in that. So I kind of wanted to to look into research a little bit more to actually understand something and then see if maybe I could help inform kind of future decisions rather than just following the guidelines without critically thinking about it properly. Oh, fair play so, to you. So that might sound a little bit sad, but uh, I got Sounds pretty nerdy. It does yeah. sound a bit nerdy. I feel like it's, it's aspirational. A, yeah, I think it's, I feel like it's a long-winded way of saying, I just wanted to boost my CV. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, I, di- I did want to boost my CV. And I think pretty much everyone who does something as a medical student, to some extent, there is always, I need this for my CV, I need it for my interview, I need it for my FPAS points. But I was also just a bit sick of sick of how boring medicine can mm. sometimes be. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how many projects have you done? Like 10, 20? Um, I probably, like, probably about 10. Oh my goodness! I know ten. <laughs> but how do you yeah, have the time for all of you, like, <laughs> I'm not sure you are. I did a master's <laughs> and like I did a few things on the side then. So yeah, and he's doing academic foundation program. So it's yeah, legit. I think you're built for this this AFP. Being a sad person. So. Yeah, sad that quick. <laughs> 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 I'm joking. <laughs> Kat, did you do a project whilst you're at med school? Do you know I'm? Do you know I'm racking my brains because it was such a long time ago. Um, I definitely did one when I was on my elective. I was out in Ghana. Oh, did you? Uh, okay. Working in a, a uh, hospital. Where, whereabouts in Ghana? Uh, Confo Noche in Same. Kumasi. That's where. I, yeah. I so, just got back. There you go. So some things don't change. I expect it probably hasn't changed very much. <laughs> uh, but I was interested in HIV medicine, uh, and so I did a project looking at um, the concordance with treatment for um, people taking antiretrovirals in the HIV outpatient clinic um, and some of the trying to get some qualitative feedback about why people weren't concordant with treatment um, except like you said I didn't have any qualitative research skills <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing I was making up as I was going along mm. um, uh, and it was good and I you know I, I enjoyed doing it but I'm not sure how much value it delivered to yeah. either the clinic yeah. or to me I mean, that's a good point. Like These projects like do help us get loads of skills, and that's probably useful for us as doctors in the future. But, yeah, for Kat and Ryan, like, do you think, do you think your like, little one-off projects, what impact did they have like, after you'd finished it? What, did, did it change anything? See, my one, it didn't really have any impact at all because I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know who to give it to. What, I did, just you, gave what it, did you do, actually? It's assessing compliance of the sepsis 6 bundle within the first hour. Um, when patients come in it's an ongoing audit they they do this every year and I was just asked by one of the doctors on the ward can you just uh, sort this out please this year I know you need an audit and here's an opportunity for you and we need this done so there you go mm-hmm. now I had one sort of contact who I they gave me and and that's who I you know reported to and it was just them telling me right put these date you know here's the data put that into a computer and at the end of it, you'll have some graphs. And I thought, so 
can someone explain to me? And, and she That's struggled to explain it herself. I think people appreciate getting yeah. some data and putting it into a table. It's but not also just like <clears throat> presumably you're generating run charts or control charts and I think yeah. as a medical student like you know you don't get taught about statistical processing exactly. control. you don't know what a run chart means or don't know, you know what what's means. the control <laughs> limit yeah. you don't know how to interpret the the data mm-hmm. and so it's that comes becomes kind of really meaningless yeah. for you unless yeah. you're going to have that extra layer on top about this is what it means and you know this is uh, y- you need the context exactly and cause improvement is all about context um Declan, just to come back to you. So, out of those, <clears throat> out of those ten projects, like what kind of projects have you done? Um, so, I've kind of done a variety of projects. Um, I mean, I've done from mainly acad- academic kind of what, what you're saying about audits kind of resonates with me. They seemed a little bit meaningless, um, and that's kind of why I stuck to the more academic side. Um, you mean like lab-based? Kind uh, of? Oh, no, no. So I've done lab-based. I've done stuff in the clinics. I've done systematic reviews and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I always saw audit as kind of just, okay, it's it's this one ward in this one hospital. And mm-hmm. I don't really, I, I don't think that can provide as much of an impact as, as kind of a, a research project that's comparing two things and can then be disseminated into kind of the surgery community and and yeah. inform decisions on on kind of a, a wider a wider scale and mm. um, so that's kind of why I stuck with with research and um, but yeah I've done a variety of different projects yeah it's so interesting because what you've done there is really just pinpointed the difference between research and quality improvement and the kind of evidence it is so you've just basically said I'm interested in creating generalizable evidence that can spread across different contexts which is what research is all about and actually quality improvement isn't about that it's about making change that works in the local context and then trying to work out what those what the generalizable lessons are but not um it's much more of a kind of complex interaction with scale and spread but just because it's local doesn't mean that it's unimportant does oh, it because oh. like the local changes can mm-hmm. really influence patients outcomes and patients experience yeah like in a sort of tangible countable way you know like there's still a number of patients who go through that one local place right yeah that that's definitely true um i mean I, and i also i don't know i guess i also saw research is more publishable and also more <laughs> <laughs> i mean okay yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be fair as a, as a medical student like <clears throat> you're busy and you you want to improve things but you also do want something for your cv and a publication Mm. does look a lot better than an audit from my point of view i mean the dream is that after Mm. this episode the three of us will be able to go back into our med schools and declan go into his first f1 jobs and actually you know actually be able to look at the projects we want to do and make the most of them and actually do them in a way that do you want do you want a positive story yeah so when i was at f1 um i was not academic at all uh, but I was based in Brighton and I really loved it. And then the, they didn't really have um, academic foundation programs, but they were just starting them. So we had the opportunity at the end of F1 to apply for one. They were new. And okay. I thought, oh, if I get one of these, I don't have to move to another hostel. I can stay in Brighton for another year. It'd be awesome. Mm. So I applied for one and I got one. And I got given like rheumatology, which I had no interest in at all. <laughs> sorry to any so rheumatologist. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> apologies. Apologies, rheumatologist. Uh, and so I went to my supervisor and I was like, oh, I really don't want to do rheumatology. What I'm really interested in is... Um, HIV and oncology and she was like fine go and find a friendly oncologist to supervise you so I went off and found an oncologist 
Where, where, where were they hiding? Where? Yeah, in the cancer centre. Would you believe it? <laughs> but anyway, and I said, you know, I want to do a project. I'm not really that academic. What I want to do is something that will make a difference to patients because I was idealistic and that I didn't want to generalise evidence. I wanted to like change things on the ground. Okay. Um, and he was like, well, we have a real problem with our breast cancer clinics because they're too busy and we can't cope with the two-week wait referrals um, because we've got such a volume of patients. And so we had a look at it and we decided that we were just going to discharge everybody who had low risk cancer, which was quite controversial. But we did yeah. the literature review. Right, uh, okay. we looked, yeah, we looked at the evidence. Yeah, yeah, no, we looked like, at all the evidence <laughs> and we were like, actually, do you know what? The evidence suggests this is fine because women detect their own cancers at follow up. So there's very little benefits coming back to the hospital. And a lot of women hate it because it reminds them of when they were ill and they just want to okay. move on. And the whole issue of survivorship. So it was really interesting intellectually, but it was a real problem. And so we designed this like program for them, like a kind of learning day where they could come and get taught about like body image and diet. And it was really exciting. Yeah. Uh, so we had this whole big thing uh, and it was great and it went well and the event went really well and the feedback from pa- patients was brilliant. Uh, and then I left because that was the end of my foundation. And then, and then what? Yeah. And then what? And then it all fell apart yeah. because it, so it all kind of rested on me, kind of in my agency. Oh. Kat, um, you said it was a positive story. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the, it's like any film, so, isn't it? It's lovely and then story. someone dies at the end. So like the positive the side is that for those like 50 patients, there was a complete difference to their cancer yeah. journey. Their cancer journey was completely different. So that is positive. And it also changed the culture of the clinic. So then people were thinking, well, why am I asking this patient to come in? Like, why do, do they really need to come back and see me? Can I, like, en- enable them to self-manage their care? So, yeah, they didn't have a big annual event where they did all these extra things. But they we had a completely different discharge set of materials. They had different networks, different ways of accessing the cancer nurses. So things changed, not my solution mm. but the, the system and the people working it found different solutions and it j- did change for the future so I guess yeah. what I want to say is whatever you do it will still influence change even if you're just giving data back to mm-hmm. clinicians so that they can work on it <clears throat> it's just a piece of the puzzle yeah so in a bit hopefully you'll be able to apply all that positivity to our own projects and our own stories here and help us fix them and and do them, do them better in the future um, but before that, I just want to share with you a really, really cool story from another medical student. So this is a med student in Dundee who I got the chance mm-hmm. to talk to earlier this week. And she's sort of fallen into a few really good quality improvement projects that have made a difference. And I really enjoyed hearing about what she'd done. So mm-hmm. let's listen to that. So um, I'm a medical student at University of Dundee. Um, my name is Sophie Corbett um, and I've just finished a, a Bachelor's of Medical Science in Healthcare Improvement at the University of Dundee. Cool, thanks. So um, so you got to help to redesign an emergency department waiting room, right? Yeah, that's right, in Ninewells Hospital in Dundee. So what did you get to do? So basically we worked with design students, it was myself and another medical student. We worked with design students from um, the art school in Dundee and we looked at the patient waiting experience and some of the problems that patients had experienced um, whilst they were waiting to be seen in the emergency department. And we collected all of that together and used some of the guidance online um, from the Design Council, which they produced a document about reducing violence and aggression in AE departments. Oh, was that a problem there? Um, yeah, I think so. It, they had kind of said that some of the problems in, in violence and aggression are to do with... Um, 
managing expectations or poorly managing expectations. So they said that the best way to kind of reduce that is to um, make it clear to patients what they're waiting for, what you know, how long it's going to take, all of those sorts of things. So they had suggested making a a map of a journey map of the area um, that was displayed in the waiting room, so that patients would be able to see what they're waiting on, where they're going next, um, and sort of the steps in their journey. Um, so that was where the idea came from, but that was something that was reported by patients as well. That none of the patients we asked knew what the next step in their journey was. Um, they didn't know what they were waiting for, and they weren't able to identify different staff members. Um, so in the emergency department in Nine Wells, the staff all wear different coloured scrubs. Um, rather than doctors being in sort of their normal clothes. So they weren't able to identify what who the different staff members were either. So we made a, a wall graphic with a, a journey map um, showing different stages in, in the journey through the emergency department and, and different streams as well. So people that were coming in by ambulance or coming in um, just self-presenting to any um, and which way they would go through the emergency department and also images of um, different uniform colours, different scrub colours, a description of what the, um, what their role was so that people would understand who they were speaking to. That's really and that's cool. And now displayed in the emergency department. Oh, cool. So they actually put it up? Yeah, so they, it took quite a while. It was about a year after the project before it went up, but it is up in the emergency department now. Can I, can I see this wall graphic anywhere? Yeah, so um, it's been, um, I think it was published in like a, a local newspaper, um, but I can give you access to it. Um, and it's basically just a, a process map, like a journey map of the emergency department within the staff icons next to it. Um, oh. And I'll show you, I'll send you some photos of the, um, of what it looks like on the on the wall. Oh, great. Um, if it's all right with you, then I'll uh, I'll link to that in the podcast description so that our listeners can yeah, have a look no as well. Problem. So sort of asking you, med student to med student, you know, how, why do you think I should care about this? Why do you think I should get on board? I think um, definitely it's really about patients and improving safety and improving experience, but also about staff. So it, it, it's so applicable to any part of healthcare um, and it's really just making things better. Um, so I think it's really important and especially as a medical student, you're able, you're just a great resource for people because you've got the time um, and able to commit to it. Um, whereas a lot of the time in, in, in these areas, they want to make the change, but they don't have the resources to make the change or they don't have the resources to collect the data to see where they're sort of going wrong and things like that. So I think that it's like a real asset to have a student who's interested in an area and wants to make a difference to it um, for the staff. It would be quite nice to be on placement and to feel like a really valuable asset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll be getting all the hints and tips out of our guest quality improvement expert, Kat, as to how we can be successful like Sophie. But that will be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor 
plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. So Kat, what stood out to you from Sophie's story? What did she do well? I think what really stood out to me is um, the starting point for her and the starting point was, was patience. And I think that's that's got to be the core for any great quality improvement project is start with patience, really understand the patient experience. And then that's the only way you can make things better. Because if you don't know what the problems are, um, you don't know how to improve them. And there's, I think in medicine, we have this real, we think we know the answers. So A, we think we know the solutions and we often don't. And B, we also even think we know what the problems are and we don't actually take the time to understand the problems and really articulate them. Um, there was, I know this gynae clinic that had a sign up where you went for your routine smears it was basically like the cancer clinic uh, and it used to freak everyone out because they thought they were coming for a routine test and they thought oh my god does this mean I've got cancer which they didn't but none of the staff had even batted an eyelid because it didn't mean anything to them so yeah starting with the patients was really critical the other thing I really loved is the um, partnership with the design students mm. um, how cool is that that's uh, fantastic no, like, no wonder she picked that project yeah. like, I'd, I'd love to work with design absolutely. students absolutely like any great project is going to be really multi disciplinary you know you need a diversity of perspectives not just a patient perspective not just the doctor perspective but nurses allied health professionals managers ward clerks cleaners porters you need to get everyone involved if you're really going to make change that's sustainable as well so i love that um i love the fact they use the evidence um there's this really classic thing of like oh let's invent our own solution to this instead of let's look and see what's been done elsewhere mm. um it's a kind of weird qi mindset that it's kind of feels like you're not in the kind of research sphere so you don't kind of do your literature review uh, so when she talked about the report from the design council I thought well brilliant you know they've done something that people have really looked at and thought about and they thought how can we make it local I thought that was great yeah I'm just a brilliant project yeah and she ended up with her own war her own work on the wall of the ED department so she's like literally <laughs> left her mark in that hospital yeah. really cool for a med student fantastic yeah and so I know that like she, I mean she's super cool and she's super motivated and off the back of this project she like got more interested and decided to take a whole year out to learn about healthcare improvement and like I get the impression from her and from stuff I've read about quality improvement before that there's quite a lot of stuff to know like quite a lot of theory behind it I'm not going to spend a whole year learning all of that stuff but I'm kind of hoping is there sort of a minimum that I could learn is there like a, a yeah. baseline knowledge that I could get yeah, definitely. So when I did my um, breast cancer project, I my supervisor didn't know anything about quality improvement, neither did I. So we didn't use any tools and methods at all. We just made it up as we went along. Um, so that is okay. Like it is okay to make it up as you go along. The evidence suggests it's better if you use an approach. Um, but interestingly, it doesn't really say which one is best. It just says what you need to do is do something systematic. So you have to have a systematic method. And I think you can get a bit hung up on the technical side of it and be like, oh, it's all about lean or Six Sigma or model for improvement and all these tools. Such buzzwords. Such buzzwords. <laughs> um, and actually, really, it's much more, I mean, they are important. And is it important to have a kind of um, way of thinking about your change and how you're going to do it? It's really important to have a kind of narrative in your head, like what's my theory of change? Um, but that just means thinking about what do I think is going on? What do I think the problem is? And what do, how do I think the actions I'm going to take are going to improve it? And how am I going to find out if that's true? 
but that's kind of the level that you need to start at and then otherwise it's really important just to the relational stuff it's like how am I going to work with patients how am I going to work with other staff and different multidisciplinary team members um so I think I think you can get hung up on thinking I've got to have this massive toolkit um but you really don't I think what you need to be is systematic relational and you need to measure but you need to have enough data that you can be able to analyze it in a way that gives you statistical significance but also not have so much data that it's not it kind of it obscures what you're trying to do um, and you're measuring the things you really want to measure so a lot of the time we end up measuring process so we look at sepsis six stuff yeah. and we look at the process and we're saying well, are we getting the kind of door to antibiotic time but we don't look at and how does that affect the number of patients we see who are admitted to icu with sepsis mm -hmm. so it's thinking about not just measuring that activity but also the outcomes for patients and then I think if you do a patient experience project they're really great ones to do because that's just really easy not easy but it's kind of quicker to capture like how do patients feel about these changes you know what are kind of some quick and dirty kind of rapid qualitative feedback that we can get from patients um, so yeah. yeah just think quite broadly about what kind of data you need and don't make it all about the numbers so the things I've picked up on there is that you, you don't necessarily need like a theoretical system, but it can help to have one. You need to have the people on board. You need to know that like who, who it's for and who needs to know and who needs to be on board. And you need to um, have enough data, but not too much data. I find that a bit mysterious. What, what do you mean? Well, I mean, this is a whole other talk about what is statistical process control. Um, oh, but gosh, if you're looking at... So many at, buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't if even... The, the kind... Well... What you need to not have is your before and after snapshot because your before and after snapshot doesn't tell you how your change is linked to the interventions that you did. So what you need to have is your data over time. So you need to have, that's the kind of key quality improvement idea is data over time. And that could be every day, you know, so it could be um, how many patients have we seen today who've got a diagnosis of sepsis mm -hmm and have had antibiotics in an hour but you need that data every day um but then you don't need to collect you don't need to ask a hundred questions you can ask one question and measure that so that's what i mean about having too much okay. data do you see what i mean yeah i see what you mean so like you need enough data like enough people over enough time enough events but you yeah. don't need to like get a whole dictionary of information out of them you need to like focus the questions on what you're actually trying to fix exactly okay and do you have like i know you just said that mm you know, it doesn't necessarily matter which system you use. Do you have a favourite system? Like, could I go home and just Google your favourite <laughs> yeah, and sure. use well, that one? So the one that we most commonly use from a kind of implementation science perspective is probably the model for improvement from the Institute of Healthcare Improvement, IHI. So if you Google model for improvement, that's probably what you're going to see. And that's your plan, do, study, act cycle, which is pretty much like an audit cycle. Um, you kind of plan it, you kind of have your theory of change, understand your problem, you do your change, um, you study it, so you look at your measurement, how's it affected it, has it improved things and then you act to change it and do it again um, so that's probably the most common model but the real key thing about the model for improvement is it's not just the PDSA cycle it's the three questions that go with it which are kind of what I said earlier like what do we need to change how do you know that change is going to be an improvement so that's key you shouldn't separate the PDSA cycle from the questions that's the whole model is the whole thing um, and the other thing is um, it's all about small rapid tests of change so an audit where you go down to the basement and you look through 500 sets of notes 
it's kind of meaningless. And actually, you know, what do you need to know? You actually need to know what's happening on the floor on a daily mm-hmm. basis. So yeah. you're probably better looking at five patients who come into A&E rather than 500 old patients. So that we're looking at that level of data to inform change. So instead of then just spending lots of time counting, you look at that and you go, okay, what are we going to change that's going to make that faster? Is it the pers- the seniority of the person who triages them at the front door because they need to be able to diagnose sepsis? And so they've got to be, actually, they should be seen by a senior clinician at triage. You know, or is it anyone who has this blood pressure? Is it anyone who's, you know, got this respiratory rate? You know, how are we going to change things to improve that time? And then you're going to measure it again with the next five patients you see with sepsis. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to change something else. So it's just a kind of different mindset. Because that sounds so much more achievable when you put it, there's this one theory I can look at and these questions, and yeah. it's a different way to think about it. And the way that you say it can be small and rapid, that sounds like it would fit way better into my four or six week placement. Totally. Than yeah. There's no doing reason. 500 pieces of paper in no a No reason why you couldn't do like three cycles of PDSA within a six week placement. It's completely achievable. Definitely. Oh really sort of changes my mindset yeah and I'm totally going to plug our paper on it we've got a paper in the BMJ which is called getting started in QI and it's basically this like total introductory this is what you need to know the basics this is where you can find out more lots of signposting to other resources so yeah it's I'd really recommend checking it out I wish I knew about this before yeah (laughs) so do I I mean I think what you said about data as well like have enough but not too much I think from a medical student's standpoint that's a little bit difficult to know Mm. so I think kind of mentorship is quite important there kind of you said okay what seniority of doctor sees this patient as a medical student I wouldn't even think about that potentially being an issue that you could then change and then um, kind of see if there's an improvement or not by changing the seniority Mm -hmm. so do you kind of have any advice for medical students on on kind of that yeah totally and I think this is where it's not about having the answers it's about looking at the problems and so yeah like we're totally designed to fix things that's why we want to be medics especially if you want to be a surgeon (laughs) you want to tinker with it and fix it um but it's unlikely as a relatively junior member of staff that we're going to see the whole picture or know what's been tried before or kind of how all the everything kind of interacts with each other and how what we change in A&E is going to impact on radiology and you know what's going to do to the rotor and all that stuff you can't know all that stuff and Mm -hmm. you you shouldn't be expected to but what you can do is you can spend that time I think as the um, Sophie did in really digging into what's the problem talking to patients in a way that clinicians always want to never have the time to really talking to patients looking at kind of with fresh eyes do a patient walkthrough like you know either with a patient or on your own walk it through what's this like from a patient perspective you know what's our friends and family test saying you know kind of it's not great data but it's some data you know trying to pull all that that together and then present it back to people and saying these are the problems these are some ideas that I've had what are your ideas what do you want to try I think that's really interesting um relating back to what we just heard about in Dundee um kind of it seems so simplistic what they did like of course patients are going to be frustrated by not knowing where they're going not knowing who the members of staff are you have the waiting times in A&E of course that's going to be the issue so I think it is really about kind of spending time with patients and just thinking as a normal person not as a doctor or or someone studying medicine, just what would frustrate you if you were in A&E and how can we improve that? Totally. And you make a really good point as well, is that, you know, we do chat about, as med students that we're busy, you know, we've got exams to go for, we're trying to get stuff ready for 
foundation program applications trying to get points for our cv and so on but like realistically we do have like a lot more flexibility and a lot more yeah potential free time than mm-hmm. clinicians and so you know we could be a really valuable asset as i was yeah. saying to sophie exactly. sophie said to me we, um yeah. that and that is actually something we can bring to a team exactly I, I i really like the fact that she fully immersed herself in in her project and I think that's one of the key factors as to why she, it was such a successful project. She, you know, she like you were saying, she went through the full patient journey and 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 tried to pick out what was the key issue. And and yeah, I, well done to her. Like, it's inspiring to see story, like to hear stories like that because yeah. I think we could do the same as well. Definitely, <laughs> and I think you do bring that different, like the. QI that multiplicity of perspectives is really important and like as medical students you're not kind of totally immersed in a culture somewhere so you don't just go along with it's the way things are done around here yeah. mm. you have this p- ability to question it and go well why are things done like that or mm-hmm. do you know that's a really weird way of doing things <laughs> yeah. or like do you know they don't do that down the road at this other hospital <laughs> just out last week uh, but you've been here 20 years and you've forgotten that it could be yeah. different yeah. so even that kind of that possibility of of difference yeah. is really important yeah. and I think you can spark a lot yeah. um, through being that voice that is a really yeah. powerful thing you can do that's really cool so that's one way in which because obviously the fact that we move around quite a lot seems like a limitation to us making a change but actually the way you put it like that seems yeah. like it could be a strength I never definitely like- cool so I'm I'm really hoping Kat that you'll be able to help us fix our projects if we could like bring them to you in a project <laughs> clinic and just go through yeah. why our projects haven't maybe gone anywhere and so on and hear from you what we could have done differently um but before that uh i just l- really like to tell you you listeners at home how much we appreciate you listening uh do, really do appreciate your support for the podcast um and as a as a thank you to show you how much we appreciate you listening we've teamed up with on examination to get you a big discount um to all our exam question banks so if you've not heard of it on examination is uh, a question bank for medical exams um, and I know that for me questions are just so 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 much more useful than staring at a textbook um, and personally I l- both love and hate that on examination reminds me every single morning to do at least one practice question <laughs> um, and now on examination is giving all of us a special sharp scratch discount of 15% so if you're going for say the prescribing safety test uh, then you'll pay £8.50 instead of 10 quid for a six month subscription and the discounts are across all medical student exams and for those new doctors listening, uh, the MRCP part one as well. Uh, so head to the student section of onexamination.com, select your exam and enter SHARP SCRATCH, that's all caps and no spaces, at the checkout for a 15% discount. So that's 15% off on examination with a promo code of SHARP SCRATCH, all caps, no spaces. We love you. Later on, I'll let you know how you could win a free on examination subscription as a SHARP SCRATCH listener. Uh, but for now, let's get back to talking about projects. So, Kat, you've heard a bit about Declan's project. You've heard a bit about Raihan's project. I, to my shame, I don't actually have anything like patient-facing. Oh, you're running this, <laughs> and you're running this podcast. Inspiration <laughs> for the future. Should have handed over to Declan. Yeah, but watch me next year, though. Next year, off the back of this, when I go back to uni. All right, okay. Kind of sore, okay. yeah. Um, but, yeah, maybe we could just talk through them about the challenges that they've found, and maybe you can just identify some points where... It went wrong or fell flat? You've done that a bit already. Um, who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So I guess the project that sticks out um, for me is, is a, I won't talk about specifics, but a, a surgery project where I was looking at 
two types of surgery and pretty much seeing how the outcomes um, differ depending on what operations performed. Um, so I was really, really enthusiastic about this in, in third year approach to surgeon who said he was also really enthusiastic to get me involved. Um, did all the data collection, spent way too much time of my life, probably not far off 200 hours, kind of collect, Whoa. Collect, collecting data, um, about 80% of which is not going to be included in a paper. Um, and then kind of from that point had data analysed and then it all went silent for about about two years, um, irrespective of me emailing quite often. And only now is it kind of coming fruition, to fruition and we're going to get a paper out of it. But I, I, I think the, the, main frustration, the main frustration that I had is I feel like as a medical student I have a, a time scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're talking about FP and f past points and stuff like that we want to get something published by the end of fourth year um and that wasn't the case for this and i was just i think the main frustration for me is almost wasting my own time and it not having anything mm-hmm. uh, not being my fault whatsoever i guess kind of the the key point from that would be kind of like mentorship and how how a student can choose a good mentor that will help guide them through a project so they don't have to spend 200 hours mm. and then waste 80% of that data and and also how how we can kind of optimize the our own time that we have available mm. to bring out something that has an outcome for us yeah that's two really interesting questions i think with the the question around the kind of data um and you know i know a bit about statistical process control for example i know a bit about data for research Mm. but it's really not my forte and you're going to get that with your supervisors and your mentors you're going to have some people who are really hot on it who are really good at qualitative data or really good at quantitative data and some people who just not really a data person at all and are just really good at delivering care um so i think the thing is to just always look beyond who your kind of first point of supervision might be Mm -hmm. so you'd be allocated somebody um but they're there to teach you to be an educator or there might be a surgeon who's kind of delivering these operations but you need to find who is the data person so and you need to do that at the beginning because because what you often tend to do is collect the data and then go to someone and be like oh can you analyze this whereas if you speak to a data analytics person at the beginning they'll help you design your data strategy like what should you measure how should you measure it is that and they'll help you say do you know what we've got all that data already it's just a question of pulling it out and running the grass you could do that in an hour with a lot of hospital data how do you how do you find a data analyst where do they live yeah so that nearly all hospitals have a data informatics team often they live in the basement (laughs) Um, (laughs) so i know that's a bit kind of stereotypical but it's worth ferreting them out they're often linked in with the tech team and the it team um and hospital hospitals and gp practices routinely collect loads of data that we Mm. never even look at so actually trying to design a project around what data do we already have that we can easily just kind of rework or use to answer this question that is a really good effective efficient way of doing a project so i definitely say find your data team if you can't find them find your clinical audit team like every hospital will have a clinical audit team whose whole life is running audits Um, and they will know like what audits are going on what are the national audits that we're involved in where all the data is so find them if you can't find the so i i have no idea where to could i just rock up to reception and be like uh i'm looking for the uh there's Probably, Usually, yeah, there's can... almost certainly like a management block yeah. in your hospital mm-hmm. that's got the offices of all these like kind of 
back room kind of functions and they'll often all be in there and they will be absolutely thrilled that someone has actually come to seek them out and be like do you know what you're really good at this and instead of being a typical doctor and be like hey i'm smart i know how to do this even though i actually (laughs) don't yeah (laughs) exactly this isn't a real thing you know i'm not realizing what this sort of i thought this top floor of this hospital I was in on placement yeah. was just empty. It was just a blank space in the map. But now I'm realising that's where yeah. they live in the empty floor. They live in the empty the floor. <laughs> they doesn't appear on the map because they don't want any patients finding them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. Go, go find them. And they will be able to help you and help you with your data and your data strategy. Um, and a lot of clinicians won't know this or think to do this. So you can't rely, unfortunately, on, on them. And, you know, when I was at med school, we didn't talk about any of this. So you know, and my contemporaries now are consultants and supervisors. And so some of some people are really on board with it and some people just aren't. So we still have this like problem where there's a kind of lag in the supervising generation. Yeah. Um, and I think you probably experienced that. Yeah, I think just so. often a term that was said to me was collect as much data as you can now because you don't want to go back and collect it later. Yeah. I guess that's not really Definitely a not. good way to do it. That's but that, not that, a data that has, strategy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that has occurred several times with several projects and that's a waste of your time like that's not valuing your time at all and actually also that kind of harks back a bit to where you did have to go into the basement and look through all the notes whereas actually what you should and it's also kind of bad practice because you know research practice we hate as a bmj we hate people who are like well we have this data bank and so we've kind of retrospectively trawled it and made a research question out of it like we hate doing that's really bad practice you should always have your question first like is this operation better on these three specific outcomes yeah, exactly. and th- so these are the three bits of data I need to collect and I probably only need to collect it for quite a small sample of patients and then your data team can help you with what's your representative sample you know what's the minimum number you need to power the statistical analysis you know that should all happen at the beginning so generally with any project no one spends enough time in the beginning bit so you either spend way too much time in the measurement bit or maybe too much time in the changing stuff bit but actually the beginning bit really deeply understanding your problem really deeply thinking what am I going to do a little bit of time spent there then then that next bit can happen really quickly and then you can get on to the fun stuff of did this work how would I do it differently let's run it all again that's such a contrast to Raihan's single hour of teaching before being sent on his way yeah I know yeah, yeah. I, I do hard. wish I knew this. It would have saved me <laughs> so many hours late at night <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> but then you look at Dundee and you talk about mentorship, and the reason why, yeah. one of the reasons why Sophie's able to do such a great project is because Dundee have really run with this. They've integrated it into their curriculum right yeah. from mm. day one. You know, it's a great spiral curriculum that's full of QI and patient safety, lots of SSCs. You know, and the guys that run it there are amazing. They've really integrated with their hospital. So Nine Wells is totally involved. They've integrated across all the different students so the nurses and the physios they all do it together with the doctors so I think you know you can't blame yourselves as students for kind of systems problems but you can like push to change them yeah but say for for students who don't go to somewhere quite as established as Dundee yeah um we still want to do projects and we still want to get the same outcome as as those who are perhaps more supported by their university what advice would you have for someone at a university like that to get a good mentor? So I think finding those teams in the hospital are really good. There'll be like a clinical lead for audit. So that would be a clinician who's interested in audit. So they're probably a really good person yeah. for you to talk to. Um, the other thing is, um, and this is again a slight plug, but there's a big community that uh, a charity in the UK called the Health Foundation have 
Build, which is a community of kind of QI experts and people are interested in it. It's called the Q community, but it's really massive now and it's across the whole of the UK. So that's a really good thing to do. You can go on their website, you can look up who are the local members of the Q community, and those are people who are passionate about QI, who've got the skills, and you know, you could easily just like approach one of them and say, if they're a clinician, whoever, you know, I'm interested in quality improvement, I want to do a project, can you help me? Um, and generally, QI people, as you will see, just love it <laughs> and want to help everyone do it. Um, so I think you probably get a good response. Okay. Can I chip in with a with a tip that I've found from mates of mine who've been yeah. like, struggling to find their own supervisors for different student selected components? So one thing that like I found a really useful sort of ground rule is that if the person if you find the person that you're reaching out to is slow to email you back, that's that's like a red flag. Oh yeah, and it like yeah. it's not obviously it's not a saying anything it's their character it just means they have other priorities right now and they might not have the time to work with you and especially when at the stage when we're learning we need someone who's going to be able to reply to our questions Mm -hmm. and reply to our like give us a bit of extra support um so i found the sort of the emailing rule quite a handy uh, tool to use when looking for a supervisor i think also the senior registrars are a really good group as well because consultants um have got a lot of conflicting priorities um but senior registrars a they're going to have almost as much experience and expertise as consultants but b they're also still in that career development phase as you are where they want publications and they want points they're probably on a bit more of a time scale once you're a consultant it doesn't matter if your paper comes out now or in five years whereas if you're a registrar and you're going for your end of surgical training you've got to have a certain number of papers published Mm -hmm. so you know try and find people whose sense of urgency matches your own Um, that's that's a handy tip too and they can always mediate with consultants as well like even if they're kind of your main support they can always they can help influence up so yeah should we go on to Raihan and your project should we fix your project yeah, so it was assessing the compliance of the sepsis six bundle within the first hour of admission. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of fixing. <laughs> so what, I mean, there was com- a lot. Of what did you look at? What components of the bundle did you look at? Was it all six? Yeah, bits? so all six: oxygen, blood cultures, IV antibiotics, lactate, IV fluids, and urine output. Um, just to clarify, that's not off the top of his head. He's reading that out. Just yeah, <laughs> pretending. <laughs> The feedback that I got for this audit, there was a lot of um, sort of bad feedback. I scored quite high, which was surprising, um, but I think it was mainly due to the present, like the presentation um, of the audit. But in terms of the actual content and the knowledge behind it, um, it wasn't scored as highly. And and to be honest, I wasn't surprised because a lot of this, when I was writing it and typing it up, it was sort of drawn from other audits that I've seen and, and, and read and um, I didn't really have the confidence to, to, to write it all um, with the knowledge myself. So mm. I guess, I don't know, there's... I guess we're not really talking about mm. um, the grade you got or like how successful it was for you mm-hmm. by yourself, but I guess what we want to get at is why, what can we identify in the way that you did your project that meant that it was unlikely to actually have an effect so like one thing you mentioned earlier was how um you didn't know who to give this information to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so cat like mm. what how can we sort of take that flaw and like address it at the be- very yeah, beginning so of at new the project? end of the audit once it's done like how can how can i make an impact with this mm. this this you know time that i've yeah. spent on this project absolutely and i think 
I think one of the things that's quite difficult to do when you're a medical student or junior doctor is to go senior enough because mm-hmm. you kind of feel like there's a layer and a hierarchy and you're like at the bottom of the hierarchy oh, yeah. and you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. go up one level to like your consultant or maybe like the ward consultant but you don't go up to like well who is the kind of who's got responsibility for sepsis in the hospital it's probably a microbiologist who's like the lead for sepsis and like that's the kind of level you need to get to and it's really you feel like you can't mm-hmm. um but i would just encourage you to like not to totally disregard the hierarchy <laughs> um, <laughs> and just to kind of not be afraid to go up to a level of who actually has influence over this, who yeah. actually is interested in changing it. Because, you know, the board want you to perform better on sepsis because they p- probably have a sequin related to it. So sequins are like um, payment according yeah. to kind of activity yeah. and results. So, you know, don't be afraid to kind of go higher till you get that buy-in. And again, going through stuff like the clinical audit group, there'll be like a the board will have an yeah. audit committee and things like that trying to find some of those like parallel structures if you can't go straight up the hierarchy trying to go out the sides can really help um yeah i guess linking in with other wards and stuff so it might okay. be that some junior doctor on this ward's been told you've got to do it but like finding out well what are the other wards doing what are they doing in a and e or what, what was what was the context is it a and e it was emergency assessment units emergency so, assessment unit yeah. so yeah so what you know what are they doing in a and e separately to the kind of emergency assessment unit, or what's the medical assessment unit doing how do we manage inpatient sepsis um so those kind of questions. And I guess the thing is, if the people who are asking you to do it don't know enough about it because they've just had it handed to them, then you don't have to do it exactly mm-hmm. as they say. And you can say, like, hang on a minute, I know you want to look at this, but is this the best way of doing it? Um, one of my other kind of sneaky tips for audits and stuff is just look at what's going on nationally. So um, there's HQIP, HQIP, which run a lot of the national audit programmes, and they have loads of resources around what you need to measure, you know how we might change it lots of kind of tools and things and you know, it seems like lots of clinicians don't even know about it but that's a really good thing to tap into um if we spread the word with med students in a few years yes. time then uh, spread it out from here you heard it, it first on sharp scratch exactly hopefully not but they but still see more <laughs> um and the other thing is actually a lot of the nice guidelines so actually yeah. for sepsis the nice guidance for sepsis came out relatively recently interestingly they didn't completely concur with the sepsis six bundle which is a bit controversial um but nearly every nice guidance has an audit tool with it did you even know that no so no there's idea. the guidelines and then there's the quality standards so if you're looking for your like gold standards for your audit there's they're written out for nearly every nice guideline they've got a set of quality standards and they nearly always have a set of audit questions to go with it oh, fair play. um and like what you should measure in and it's a oh, total so it's like a ready-made project yeah. it's a ready-made project oh, sick um so yeah so you could be like well do we want to do the sepsis six or do you want to look at the nice guidelines like are we yeah. up to date so i think that's the kind of other way you can do it but it is really hard when someone just says go look at this what could have happened next you know the recommendations are, are your your standard ones you know place sepsis posters on the wards and and hand out information cards to staff educate doctors on management on sepsis now i think these sort of things are recommended every year it's nothing new that i've you know innovated myself and maybe they're used to seeing this you've suggested to sort of speak to someone who um, may be able to take this up and and look at it. I never knew any of this, so I guess I couldn't have recommended um, and made any of my recommendations. But even if I did, I feel like they're too generic or I don't have enough clinical knowledge 
and, and that clinical experience to make niche uh, recommendations and innovative recommendations because I've not re you know, a six week placement in yeah. EAU is not like the a year or two years at these. So one of the things that we see over and over again is people not being aware of what's being done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So for example, Northumbria have done some fantastic work on sepsis, but they've published on it. Mm-hmm. So actually maybe that's where you can add value is to just take that time going away, getting online looking at you know what's been published about what do we know from an implementation science perspective what what are the strategies for implementing sepsis 6 what works what doesn't work what's the impact of using patient videos you know what's the impact of teaching sessions what kind of structures of these teaching sessions work Uh, because that a lot of that stuff is already out there so i don't think there's any expectation on students to come up with those ideas because why should you um but to kind of I think it's that headspace thing, and I know you're really busy, as you said, Laura, but to have that headspace to look above what's going on here to like what's going on in, in other places, it's happen- it so rarely happens, and it's so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess yeah. what you're saying there is that even though as med students we don't feel equipped to make uh, sort of good recommendations, whatever that means, you know, we don't feel like we've got enough knowledge to identify place for improvement yeah. that we can do that by looking at what other places have done yeah. and following their lead yeah and also like the emphasis on innovation is kind of rubbish like you know because yeah. a lot of the time as i said we're doing the basics badly so it, yeah. you know it's, and it's and no one wants to hear that no one wants to hear do you know what you're too slow in assessment do you know what you're you're, you're prescribing patterns you're not good enough at prescribing antibiotics or recognizing sepsis early and actually those are normally the things that that happen I mean it's hard to show the value of an educational intervention like raising awareness particularly because it normally tails off quite quickly after you show impact and then Mm -hmm. it kind of doesn't it's not sustained um so I think that's the other thing is don't be afraid to kind of be challenging about actually look at the data what it says is we identify sepsis and then it takes us 45 minutes to prescribe oxygen what's going on with that and you don't have to have the answer you have to say why is it that and how could you do it better i think that's really interesting trying not to offend people Um, because when i was doing one of my audits i remember one of my questions was um should i write down who saw these patients should i write down who who um who was the one that prescribed them and i was told no don't do that like you don't want don't want to offend anyone i don't want to seem like we're kind of targeting somebody but I guess I guess that's how how you would make change, and I, I guess if you're not allowing yourself to do that at the beginning, you can't really make the appropriate change from your findings anyway. And we don't really want, as med students, we don't really want to like start off our we don't want career to start off a f- yeah. by oh, by like not giving each other feedback. Like ideally, yeah. we want to be Culturally. we want to be sort of yeah. growing in being bold enough to give each other feedback that will help yeah, patients being right? able to constructively criticize people yeah. it's a positive culture like if you have a culture where people can openly look at and own their own data on their performance that is a really well-performing team yeah. and mm-hmm. it's that is a really hard cultural change to make i guess know? as a medical student i was just like i was told don't do that <laughs> so i just didn't do that i didn't want to be that rc medical student who <laughs> comes into the practice and says you're the one doing it wrong because they're like well you're just a fourth year medical student what do you know so I think it's just kind of having the confidence almost to and do the that. Encouragement. But it's really like and it, being en- it makes a massive mm-hmm. difference to have encouragement from yeah. someone like Kat who mm-hmm. is yeah. a doctor 
telling it. Almost like, yeah. allowing me to, yeah, to totally. cause a bit of a ruckus. Totally. I think change is always disruptive and change is hard. And I think, you know, the problem with causing improvement is that you often want to go for the nice, easy solution, not recognise that things are really complex and really difficult and painful. But actually it is painful and people find it hard to change. And so you've got to just kind of embrace that. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. <laughs> So speaking of change and speaking of improvement, what are you guys going to take away from this? What are you going to do differently next time you start a project? Oh, plan, 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 really. Like, as you set out your project, think about, look at the evidence beforehand, look at what other people are doing, think, what data do I need and what's this actually going to mean? And then whatever you get from that will actually have some some relevance to to kind of what your what your outcome is, is hoping to be so don't jump yeah. into data collection straight away just yeah. think about what you're doing initially and yeah. i think that'll make life a hell of a lot easier as you're working through the project how about you ryan i think i'm just going to make friends with the audit team and <laughs> <Yeah>. i think <laughs> just that's the best best thing to do because i genuinely just need education on this yeah and they're the best people to to provide that and they have the time and they're willing to as well totally maybe you can read that um how to get started in qi article that, yeah cat um, mentioned i'll link to it in the yeah. podcast sure. description yeah, so that you can really all go good. away we've got another one's how to use data for improvement as well um there's one coming up about how to involve patients so hopefully they'll all be super useful that sounds yeah, really definitely. solid yeah yeah and as for me what i'm going to take away from it is that when i go back to uni next year if i've got a placement where i'm pretending to make the most of it and do a project i'm gonna email ahead of time figure out like i'm gonna with your encouragement cat i'm gonna be a bit more annoying and, and email the people who i'm not really sure i should email a bit more annoying. <laughs> are you saying that <laughs> is that even possible <laughs> <laughs> rude i'm sorry i'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's the end of declan's <laughs> yeah, yeah i will never be heard on shots <laughs> nice to have you declan yeah. yeah i'm gonna try and be even more annoying and um and reach out to people and uh, figure out who i should be talking to who could actually lead to change and also i'm going to email the department and ask them what kind of gaps what kind of problems they've already identified so that i don't have to you know if, if i have only got a four-week placement that i don't have to start from scratch on the first day by figuring out what a problem is i can come there with a pro with a problem already in front of me and yeah. ready to get started and just always ask the patients always ask the patients yeah, yeah and they're a really powerful influencer Nothing, yeah. nothing gets the ball going than a good patient story. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. Well, thanks so much for all coming on here. Thank you so much, Kat, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's all we'll have from us on Sharp Scratch today. Uh, and if you'd like to hear more from us, then you should subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll get another episode straight to your phone. And in the meantime, check us out on social media. We're at studentbmj on Twitter, at student underscore bmj on Instagram, and studentbmj on Facebook. All the links in the description. And let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag SharpScratch. We'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. We've already got like a few ideas coming in, taking those on board. We really love hearing your ideas. It's also really helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other med students find the show. So next time, we'll be talking about CPR. Uh, we'll be talking about how you cope with your very first time ever witnessing or taking part in a CPR event. Until then, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me, Declan. And bye from me. And thank you for having me.